was like, I'm going to this. It just sounded like the perfect fit for me. I mean, people that really want to or have been to every single country in the world. You know, I don't know if I'll ever get to every single country, but I certainly want to keep trying. And the whole idea that, you know, any place that I mention, any geographical entity, people will know about it. And that's like, I need to be around people like that. But really, you need a car to, to get to those off the beaten track places. That was probably my favorite part of the trip is when I just one day I wasn't feeling that that great and I didn't want to go as far and it was starting to rain and I was like, OK, I'm just going to take a kind of a little nearby road trip of where I was staying. But that ended up being one of the best days because there were just one thing after another. Just get out there, experience, explore, get curious. That's, that's my tagline. Get curious. Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker? gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel then this is the podcast for you designed to inspire you to travel there'll be stories to tell tips to share and experiences to inspire welcome to the show let's get into the episode hello and welcome to this week's episode where i'm joined by john mckenzie who has traveled to 60 countries 45 u.s states and all 105 counties in kansas I saw John do another interview about a road trip in Armenia, so I want to hear about that today on the podcast. We're also going to delve into French Polynesia, Uruguay, and the Falkland Islands. So, John, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thank you very much, James. Where are you based right now? Uh, so, I'm in Rockville, Maryland. It is near Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is is it its own county, uh, its own state, or is it part of another state? So, Washington is actually a separate district it's not a state there is or there has been for many years a, an interest from residents of dc to have statehood yeah and actual license plates say taxation uh, without representation <laughs> uh, so uh but right now it's it's just the district of columbia oh, but, that's very interesting yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting history and 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 how that came about and um but that uh yeah we're I I I used to live there uh, several years ago but I've lived in this this area now but it's close enough I live near the metro so I can walk to the metro in ten minutes and get on the the red line and go right downtown and it's pretty convenient so but at the same time I don't go there as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> Do people who live in Washington, D.C., do they, there must be people who live there who don't work in government, right? Who just live there just because it's Washington, right? Yeah, I've never worked in government. I've okay. worked for, I mean, I've definitely been involved with government contracts or things like that where mm. employers have dealt with the government, but, um, and it's all around, but no, no, no politics or government specifically for me, but, but yeah, there's plenty of people that don't work in government, but it is, I mean, it's a government city. That's kind yeah. of, it's always probably going to be, um, it's a transient city every four years or so. There's kind of a, an exodus of, of one group and an, <laughs> another group comes in and uh, it's very diverse. Uh, that's one of the things I really like about it. There's just, 
people from every country in the world are here. There's always something to do. Uh, aside from, you know, most of the museums are free. Uh, all the, you know, the national museums, uh, there's a lot of other museums and a lot of other things in the area. Mm -hmm. So um, lots of great ethnic food, especially Ethiopian, El Salvadorian and Central American. Um, and yeah, there's, there's always unique events. Uh, in May, one of my favorite events is the uh, embassy open house. So they oh. select not every single embassy, but pretty much uh, there's a DC tourism group that tries to put it together and, and they have participating embassies. And I think it's anywhere from 30 to 50. Oh, wow. and, and it's just fun because you just kind of, I, I usually map it out and try to figure out where I want to go. I usually go to the ones that are the most obscure, or the, mm. the best chances of having a shorter line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fun. I actually met, um, I met somebody at the Eritrean embassy who uh, promised to expedite my visa uh, oh. if I would go there. So, um, so that's prompting me <laughs> Uh, to plan a trip there actually this uh, this November so um, among other places but yeah um, but that that that's kind of one of the unique to DC it's kind of you can't there's no other place that has embassies like that uh, mm. in this country so uh, it's a unique event oh wow yeah, yeah. I do hope to visit uh, this maybe six seven weeks so yeah that'd be pretty cool because I, I think people in the UK think Washington DC is just a white house and a few government buildings. I don't think people realize it's actual full-fledged city yeah. there with people living in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely didn't. Yeah. There's lots of cool neighborhoods and and it's changing a lot. I mean, I go down to different places that maybe I'd been before, but it'd been years. I don't recognize it. It's sometimes like, where am I? Oh, yeah, I'm in DC, but this whole neighborhood is new or it's changed or mm. uh, something. So there's there's a lot of hidden gems in the DC area. And then the bigger area, um, you know, Virginia, Northern Virginia has a lot to Old Town, Alexandria, um, and Mount Vernon, George Washington's uh, home further south of there, and then Maryland. And, and then really, if you go further out, you can go uh, within two hours, you can hit Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, some beautiful nature areas in, in um, the all the mountains, the, mm -hmm. the Blue Parkway. Uh, and then the ocean is about, well, it depends on traffic, but <laughs> we'll say four, uh, roughly four hours, um, maybe three to four hours uh, across the Chesapeake Bay and lots of islands and inlets and Chesapeake. Oh. Maryland's actually quite an interesting state because there's a lot for a tiny state. Um, you know, growing up in Kansas, looking at the map, I mean, it was one of those little tiny states in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's really quite diverse. You've got the mountains in the west, and then there's like the suburban area. There's the central Maryland, and then there's the southern Maryland and the islands and the coast. And so there's lots of different areas, Baltimore. So yeah. there's a lot to lot to see and do. And I still haven't done as much in Maryland as I'd like to. So uh, reminding me that I need to get out. Yeah. I live now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a, it's like a dream vacation, actually. Yeah, I don't never really thought about that. The access to all the different types of uh, things you can see. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I think, again, Maryland, what do people think? The wire, Baltimore, maybe? I don't know. Um, but I guess there's more to see than just that. 
yes uh, but yeah. but that definitely draws a lot of people in oh, okay still draws people they have it i think they had or have a tour a wire tour all oh, right yeah but yeah. um baltimore is kind of cool it's you know it's very different from dc they're they're only 38 miles apart i think but mm -hmm. um culturally are just about as far apart as like being in on the west coast versus the east coast because um it's just a different totally yeah. different vibe of a, of a town different demographics different histories um yeah but I, I like Baltimore it's kind of more laid back here in DC sometimes there's the you know what do you do is the first question the people oh, yeah. will have in Baltimore it's just more like how's it going hun <laughs> you know <they're, laughs> it's a different vibe um but I like I like them both for for various reasons so okay yeah, I need to maybe add that in. We'll see. Okay, <laughs> we're going to delve into your early travels because I'm always keen to hear the early story behind a traveler. So first of all, how did you become inspired to maybe travel as much as you have? Was there a trip when you were young? Did your parents take you away? Like, what was the vibe? <laughs> well, really, it all started probably when I was about five or six, and my dad gave me his father's stamp collection. and um, I don't know, for whatever reason, that just resonated with me. I, I just got really into it. Um, just looking at all of the stamps and the, the different countries and the, the flags. I mean, I, I was all in and that's, that's what I did. I didn't go out and, and, and play football or any, you know, I was pretty much inside with my stamp collection in my head, either in the stamp album or an atlas. Uh, or almanac or some sort looking at different countries and all of the customs and languages and everything so that that really fascinated me um, but it never really occurred to me that I could actually go to these places until yeah, yeah. Um, I mean we we didn't we did some domestic trips I think the um, yeah the furthest we had gone was California and then Pennsylvania we did some road trips but um, and then I was in college and we took a trip to the Bahamas. So that was the first nice. international trip that I went yeah. to. Um, I didn't even go to Canada until later. <laughs> <laughs> but I met, and then later in college, I started meeting people that had backpacked and mm -hmm. you know, somebody had hiked the Appalachian Trail and somebody had backpacked across Europe. And then my last year as an undergrad, I had a roommate that uh, he had this really cool chair. And I was like, oh, did you make that? And he's like, no, I got that when I lived in Burkina Faso. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, nobody I knew had ever heard of Burkina Faso, yeah. let alone just flippantly saying like, oh, I've lived there. So um, so then it, it turned out he had backpacked in, in Europe and he had all sorts of travel stories. And that really inspired me to um, like, oh, and he was from Kansas and you know, raised on a farm and it was like, okay, well, so I started saving money. I had gotten a job on campus and uh, yeah, for like a year and a half, I saved up money. And then I talked to other people and um, who had backpacked and yeah. And then I got into graduate school right after. And so in the summer between my first and second year of grad school, instead of writing a thesis, like everybody else was doing, I, I, took off for Eastern Europe because I didn't want to go mm. to where 
Uh, I didn't want to do the traditional Western Europe, France, Spain, Italy that everybody else was doing. Um, I was intrigued by Eastern Europe, especially because at that time it was still, you know, the the Eastern Bloc and the former Soviet Union mm. hadn't been, you know, hadn't hadn't been that long ago. And that just really interested me. So I had this really ambitious plan to travel for, I guess it was two and a half months over, um, ended up being about 10 countries, I think, 10 to 12 oh, wow. countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I wouldn't change a thing, but it's not how I travel now. Yeah. Um, but it really was, and I don't even know how I did it sometimes when I think back. I just remember I had a few things planned, a few people, uh, connections, like I had a pen pal in Lithuania. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I met up with and stayed with her family. And I found some random person on the internet that uh, had their email address and I emailed them uh, in Belarus. And I ended up going through the little corner, northwest corner of Belarus on my way from Poland to Lithuania. Mm -hmm. And so things like that. And I think, how, how did that, like, I'd never traveled before, but that just kind of seemed to come naturally to me or the curiosity about all of these things just kept me going. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an amazing trip. And I actually found um, one of my other pen pals, I had written this really detailed, <laughs> kind of like a journal too, and she mailed it back to me uh, recently. Oh, wow. Okay. Just yeah. reading it, uh, like a couple nights ago and it was just it was just so cool to review how I you know what I was thinking and what my impressions were and uh, and also comparing it to what I had remembered or thought mm. I knew yeah yeah I remembered certain places being you know favorites or, or uh, places that I liked better than others uh, but I hadn't remembered uh, how I ranked them and I, I put a couple <laughs> rankings on it so yeah it was really it was really good to to have that, and I did write journals uh, in paper on uh, those trips. So uh, reading those later has really been uh, amazing. So um, anyone, I always encourage journal writing, even though nowadays I don't do as much of it because it's I'm I'm posting on social media, so that's kind of yeah. like journal. But <laughs> um, I guess technically I'm doing it, but as a podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying it i'm saying it instead of writing it yeah yeah um, much um, yeah that's yeah. that was my uh that was my introduction to to international travel like solo other than the bahamas trip um and i think we did go to canada i took a road trip with some friends in canada but um but then after that i another roommate um i was considering joining the peace corps um and so uh, for so I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Peace Corps uh, it's a U.S. Uh, volunteer program started by John F. Kennedy in the 60s and uh, they would send groups of Americans to different countries to do different projects so um, it had been around for a long time it was one of those things that I remember seeing commercials for and thinking oh that looks really interesting but it's tough uh, their, their tagline is the toughest job you'll ever love and uh wow. um so i was kind of nearing the end of my grad school career and still not sure what i was going to do with my life and so i was like hmm peace force sounds like a good way to push that 
further and explore. And uh, and I had a roommate who had just been to Peace Corps in Lesotho, and you know he kind of convinced me that that was the way to go. So I I applied and I kind of put all my eggs in one basket after graduating. I didn't have any other plan but to join Peace Corps. <laughs> Not everybody gets in, but pretty much, um, I mean, it's a pretty good fit at least at the time. I think um, the issue is sometimes timing. Uh, they don't always have openings at the time that it works out for for you. And yeah. I had somebody that was trying to get me to teach English at a university in Tanzania because I have a geography degree. Mm -hmm. But the timing ended up being like that would have been six to eight months later, whereas the immediate opening that came in the mail suddenly without knowing when it was coming um, told me that I was going to Uzbekistan. Oh, so, um, so yeah, in 1997, it was September, uh, I headed off to Uzbekistan for two years to teach English. And that was kind of the beginning of like the deep cultural immersion part of the travels. I mean, you know, it's travel, but then you, you live you there. Y'all so lived in the mountain. Yeah. Um, but I lived for a year with the host family. Well, first of all, we had a training um for about two and a half months in in one city and i mm. lived with a family there but then they assigned us a site uh, where we would be living for the two years and i ended up going to this place way in the western part of the country in the desert and um yeah i was the first volunteer there first westerner i think a lot of people had ever seen they just mm -hmm. thought i was from russia or armenia or they didn't have any idea they were very confused why is this person here but they knew that I wasn't from there so um but you know it became uh, part of the you know, the daily some days it was you know it's cool to be like the cool the person that's from out of town and then other mm -hmm. days you're just like I just want a break but uh ultimately <laughs> it was definitely one of the most rewarding experiences I ever had so um and I was so I was there living with a family in that town for one year, and then I moved into an apartment for the second year. Wow. And then, okay. um, yeah, and then I came back nine years later to go to a wedding <laughs> and probably <laughs> more. So, uh, but yeah, so that those kind of that was one year later after my Europe trip, Eastern Europe trip. So, um, and then after the Peace Corps uh, was over they give you this re they call it readjustment allowance so it's supposed to get you back in the u.s and get you set up look for an apartment and start finding a job and all of that mm -hmm. i spent it all on traveling so <laughs> uh, uh, but that allowed me to travel for about eight months after peace corps throughout southeast asia yeah and um and so i i went through a lot of the the, what they call the banana pancake trail yeah 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 and uh, i did have banana pancakes so there <laughs> that. um and then i ended up coming back through myanmar and bangladesh india and then jordan on the way home so eight months um, that's a decent a decent amount of time yeah yeah, yeah and i hadn't been in the u.s for almost three years at that point so yeah so that was a interesting cultural 
readjustment. Readjustment, too. yeah. I, kind of wanted, I didn't really want to go back. I wanted to be away for that long to have like that experience of being, uh, feeling kind of foreign in my in mm. my homeland, which which was true because they had. Uh, this is just a weird thing that I remember because um, I stayed. Oh yeah, on the way back, uh, I ended up flying into Chicago. And I had never really been to Chicago. I was technically born there, but I'd never been there as a as an adult. So <laughs> I wanted to see Chicago. So I spent a couple of days there before going back to Kansas with my family. And I remember going and having breakfast and they gave me change. And the quarters, the coins had different states on them. And I was like, I didn't know this was a thing. They had just, it was just a new commemorative coins that they were releasing over the past few years or something but mm -hmm. i was like they changed the money like <laughs> weird feeling um to notice that and feel <laughs> like i just didn't imagine that the money would be different because american money is probably the most some of the most boring money basic yeah yeah <laughs> uh so that was that was a funny uh re-entry experience that oh, wow. like okay. to a grocery store but yeah <laughs> yeah, I think the weirdly the US money <clears throat> is one of the few that is the same size. I think like the twenty dollar, one dollar, hundred dollar note are the same size, just got a different number on it. It's a bit strange. Whereas most countries have different like levels of size right. to how big it is. I've heard they're trying to address that because uh, yeah, for people with uh, sight or you know, yeah, makes sense. The number you can feel the size yeah. and something like that i think that um the, but you know who knows how long that might take to do <laughs> or I, who will come into power to stop it or something but uh who knows yeah yeah we'll get into that <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna delve into some of those countries um that you traveled to because i'm intrigued as i mentioned in the bio at the start with armenia because i've not really had anyone talk about armenia apart from rick zarin who's out today um but first of all Armenia, why did you want to go there and when did you visit first? Yeah, so I, I had been wanting to go there for some time. Um, I When I went, I think I mentioned earlier that I went back to Uzbekistan for mm -hmm. a wedding. So that 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 trip, I was going to go to the Caucasus region, yeah. uh, but just had some issues there at that time. And then it ended up not being enough time. So that had been kind of on my mind to still go there. And then when I heard about the Extraordinary Travel Festival, the first one was going to be held in Yerevan, Armenia. And I was kind of waiting for some this other commitment that I had. Um, wasn't sure if it was going to happen. And then when I found out it wasn't, I was like, I'm going to this. It just sounded like the perfect fit for me. Somebody that, I mean, people that really want to or have been to every single country in the world and you know I don't know if I'll ever get to every single country but I certainly want to keep trying <laughs> <laughs> and the whole idea that you know any place that I mention any geographical entity people will know about it and that's like I need to be around people like that so mm -hmm. and new city I hadn't traveled uh, out of the country since before the pandemic so it was definitely, I was itching to get out. So I made um, a plan to go there and then explore Armenia a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was there for about 
three. So I combined it also with the Republic of Georgia. And um, the whole trip was about 40 days. I think in Armenia, oh. it's like two and a half weeks. Yeah. Or so. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I was really, you know, I, I knew that they had their own alphabet um, and language. And I thought, mm, this might be, I have a little Russian knowledge. And I thought, well, maybe I could get by if I need to, but language has never been a barrier for me to travel. Mm -hmm. um, this makes it easier, obviously, if, if people speak English or if you can communicate, but, um, but I found it to be really tourist friendly, but yet not, oh. not touristy. Yes. Um, there's tourism, but, and I went in October of mm -hmm. last year. So it was kind of a good time. It's not as hot uh, because the summers can get quite hot there. Yeah. Uh, I realized that, but when I was, I had started following the weather and in even as well, yeah, even in September, early September, they were getting up to uh, like a hundred degrees or 40 ish degrees fair, uh, Celsius. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was like, ooh, that that's a I just didn't expect that for <laughs> location. But when I went, it was just getting really nice and 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 temperate. And um in that time that I was there, I did go to some parts of the country that were more mountainous. Mm -hmm. So there was uh there was one time when I experienced snow, um, and the night temperatures got down to about zero Celsius, but for the most part, it was just a comfortable time to be there, not as many people. Um and the the landscape just the colors there were some leaf you know fall leaves changing mm -hmm. and then the kind of the stark landscape lots of mountains just a certain color scheme that was very um evocative uh if if that makes sense mm -hmm. but but yeah the the thing that i really enjoyed the most about armenia is just the the rural landscapes and all of the monasteries. That's kind of one of the things they're known for is their medieval monasteries. And these things are just, they're always on like a perfect setting on the side of a mountain yeah. with views. Wow. Um, and most of them are made, and, and actually a lot of buildings in Armenia are made out of this stuff called tuff, T-U-F-F. I think in Armenian it's tufa, but tufa in English is a different thing. And I mm -hmm. learned this the last time I talked about this, and it was very confusing. So, <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a volcanic uh, stone that is just everywhere in Armenia. Oh, okay. All the monasteries, a lot of the government buildings, just you'll just see it. It's it's kind of a a thing there, but it sometimes it's really dark and it looks like soot, especially inside, right. like into these monasteries or like uh, churches and it's this dark it kind of looks like somebody just needs to to clean it up a little bit but <laughs> the natural um the natural color of the of the rock mm. but it kind of adds to the whole mystique of this medieval uh feeling i guess that's that's the best way i can describe it um but i i just loved it and um it was very easy i rented a car yeah that was a first for me too i had never driven solo in another country um i mean outside of north america so that was that was really i was a little nervous about you know driving in a different country uh that i didn't necessarily know how the road rules would be so to speak but <laughs> um, and 
yeah, some people drove a little erratic, but I see. Um, it really was easy to navigate. Uh, I had an app that I used to help. Um, it, it actually helped me. I think it was Yandex. Uh, it's the like another mapping app, and I helped it to it. It beeped when I was going over the speed limit because every town oh. has trap so yeah i didn't i was trying not to have a uh, get a ticket <laughs> um but really you need a car to to get to those off the beaten track places and those that was probably my favorite part of the trip is when i just one day i wasn't feeling that that great and i didn't want to go as far and it was starting to rain and i was like okay i'm just going to take a kind of a little nearby road trip of where i was staying but that ended up being one of the best days because they were just one thing after another that was not in the guidebooks. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a little brochure in my uh, room. I was couch surfing uh, in with this this guy in uh, a place called Sisian in Eastern Armenia, and uh, there was this brochure that showed some stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll check that out. And but I just didn't. It was just really cool to go around the bend and see this these sites and there's this old bridge and um, the side of the mountain had these um, basaltic columns of rock. And then at the top of that same mountain was an old fortress. So it was just a lot packed into a small area. Um, and there are a lot of little places like that all around. I mean, I didn't even get to the, there's a part of Armenia in the north called the Debed Valley that is known for having a lot of, you know, there's a couple UNESCO World mm -hmm. Heritage sites um, and some frescoes that are from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, but I didn't even get to that area uh, because there was just, there was just a lot. And, um, but I really enjoyed the driving and the car I got was just, it was actually an American car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So usually tra traveling in another country, um, you know, for Americans, you usually have to get a manual transmission because that's just what they have. But here yeah. they had an automatic and um, I was like, it wasn't, it was about $330 for the week, mm -hmm. uh, which I mean, that's, I mean, rental cars are expensive these days. Uh, I, I rented a car in the U.S., in florida and it was more than that for a week so wow um, gas was a little bit pricey but um i paid about a little under a hundred dollars for gas for the whole thing and getting mm -hmm. gas before dropping off the rental car was quite stressful but <laughs> i would i mean i would easily rent a car there it's just it was very easy to drive around um the roads are good like that pretty good there's a few potholes i wouldn't drive at night just because of the there are some potholes and things and then there oh, are yeah. some drivers so like that's the, the the main road that i was taking is a route that truckers use like semi trucks that go mm. into, back and forth from iran to russia yeah. and they're these old trucks they just don't have the momentum to be able to get up a hill so they're going like as low as five to ten kilometers an hour and if you're on this these curvy roads you get stuck behind one of those mm. you're going to be there for a while but yeah. at the same time there were plenty of people that were passing on curves and on the solid line so um my rule was if i can see i'm gonna go 
yeah. whether there's a line or not. I wouldn't have done that at first, but everybody else was doing it. I mean, I had people passing me. I got stopped with, um, there was a bunch of cows crossing the road. I mean, they were just all over, right in front of me. There were a couple um, uh, farmers there or whatever, but like, <laughs> hey, I guess I'll, I'll kind of ease my way into this. Meanwhile, a couple of people just passed right through Nobody was injured. I was like, okay, the next car, I'm just going to follow him. To get <laughs> so things like that. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty easy. There are speed traps everywhere. So, but they're mm. most, um, if you know what to look for, you can try to minimize uh, the number. I didn't get any tickets though. Ah, so. That's all right. So out of the places that you traveled to in Armenia on that trip, which ones would you say that people should go and visit? like the places that you saw? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of hard to pick, but I will say um, one monastery in particular that I really enjoyed is called Boratnavank. And that is is definitely off the beaten track. So it's, it, I'll throw out some other kind of more accessible places. Mm. Um, but that one for me, it was just, it, it was just all the settings were there for, a breathtaking view and nobody else was there um the, the weather was cool but sunny partly sunny it was just all the things mm -hmm. um but the one place that most people really should go if they go to armenia is probably korvarap and that is about 45 minutes or so um southeast of yerevan and the reason being it's an important one of the most important monasteries in the country but it's the setting because at the top you can look over and see mount ararat and uh, little okay. and yeah. for for those who aren't familiar with armenia so mount ararat is actually in turkey but historically the the armenian territory extended further into what is now turkey and other areas, uh, other places in that area. So they still look to Mount Ararat as their kind of sacred mountain. Yeah. Um, and then there's another smaller mountain right next to it, which I'd never even heard of before called Little Ararat. And sometimes that's clearer, but on a, on a good day, you can see them both and it's, it's breathtaking. Um, it's also the site of an old city. There's not much left. Uh, there's some ruins like above the, there but it's really for the views and and the monastery Error, mm -hmm. uh, i mean yerevan itself is i find to be really uh, a pleasant city it's kind of got the best of everything in my opinion yeah. um it's small enough that it's pretty walkable everything is kind of in this district called the kentron which is a circular district in you know right in the middle of the city and it lots of pedestrian walkways and parks and, and very pretty um lots of the sites are are in that area and there's also a lot of there are a lot of bars and restaurants and and places you can go if you want anything from kind of traditional stuff to something a little bit more upscale or more westernized mm -hmm. i mean they have plenty of chains i don't prefer to go to any chain restaurants when I or or anything when I'm traveling but I note that they exist because I did I wouldn't have necessarily expected to see 
KFC in oh. Europe, <laughs> <laughs> let alone a KFC that's outside under like this beautiful park. It looks kind of fancy. <laughs> um, but I really like some of the other, you know, the other places. There was a few um, craft, I like craft beer. So I mm -hmm. try to at least find a brewery everywhere I, I travel. And they had a few there. I couldn't get to them all, but um, they definitely like their beer in in Yerevan. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of different places you could go. Um, and also the views going up to um, this place called the Cascade. It's it's an art, so it's like an art museum, but it's also built on the hill. So steps go up to the top, which is like a plateau above Yerevan. And that's the city continues up there. Uh, but I really enjoyed walking up. And then you, you walk up one level, there's all these fountains and gardens, and then you turn around and over, you know, look over the city and see you could you can even see Mount Ararat if you if it's not oh. too foggy or, or smoggy yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah lots of uh lots of things to explore in in Yerevan and it was just super easy to to navigate and get around and most people spoke English I found so oh, okay um, that's good how um, would you rate the like the budget like in terms of the countries that you experience like is it budget friendly or slightly expensive in your opinion where would you rank it I think it I think it was fairly budget friendly I mean it it's uh I'm, I tr well I I did keep track of all my expenses to try to get a sense of you know what did I spend and did yeah. I, I myself in budget um but yeah the like the lodging for example is is fairly affordable I mean you can find a pretty decent place for $50 or less in Yerevan mm -hmm. uh, and in other cities even 30 or 20 or less yeah um, and the food you can find I mean like you can find expensive food but of you course, can yeah. find some uh pretty affordable stuff like less than five to ten dollars for mm. a meal um and then the 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 drinks <laughs> the drinks are much cheaper <laughs> um uh, the wine, you know, wine and, and beer, especially wine, though, because Armenia is one of the first countries to ever make wine. Yeah, uh, actually found evidence of the world's oldest operating winery there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you can you can definitely get by for a pretty, you know, pretty decent. I would say um, I'm trying to estimate the 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 range of if you wanted like kind of comfortable, I'd say $50 for sure. Uh, but you could do it a lot less if you, you know, you found cheaper places. Um, yeah. First, I, because I was there for this conference, I stayed about seven or eight days in Yerevan at first. And I stayed in a hostel um, just to save a little bit of money. So the hostel was, I think, $11 for a bed and a uh, four-person room yeah uh, this place I stayed called Kantar it was really one of the best places I've they had the best breakfast that I've that I can even remember including like <laughs> hotels just because it was all um, they had a lot of variety it was different every day but mm -hmm. they had some of the same stuff that you would want and then there were people there making it fresh like, constantly Dream. And open until I don't know from six to ten or something in the morning and so um, and there's places where you can sit and and work too. So 
Um, then I met some people just sitting down next to them because of the seating. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a really, it was kind of the best of, of everything for that kind of situation. And um, I really enjoyed it. It was right downtown. It was a block and a half away from where the venue for the event was. And yeah, it was perfect for me. So and what's that called? Kantan. Kantan. K-A-N-T-A-R. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Because I... they, they also have apartments. Um, like they had a, a floor that had uh, the, the dorm rooms and yeah. stuff, but they had more floors above that than I think, because uh, I saw families come down with their children uh, to the breakfast too. Um, now, when I was there, there were a lot of Russian people that were mm -hmm. in Russia to go find another place to stay in Armenia yeah. allows Russians without, I don't think you need a visa. No visa, yeah. yeah. So people were moving there and it was actually, I had one place cancel uh, that I had made a reservation. They said uh, they they ran out of room and they <laughs> I had to find another place. But um, yeah, so there were, there were definitely a lot of uh, Russians there trying to, you know, to find a place. But I actually, you know, I talked to them and it was, refreshing because I think you know in the United States at least um and I think a lot of places unfortunately that you know what's happening right now just gets cast upon all the people as all if the they're people, yeah. responsible mm. and you know a lot of the people I talked to were like we don't you know I don't want to kill innocent people we yeah, have yeah. we are this guy is crazy we don't want to have anything to do with them and you know they're just stuck in the middle so um and they're trying to find a place to work too and, yeah. and work remotely. Um, and of course, Armenia was former Soviet Union. So they there were lots of Russian population there before anyway. Mm. Um, but uh, I I really enjoyed the different landscapes. And I um, so after Yerevan, I, um, or yeah, well, I'm trying to think of what, what, what would be a third must see place. I think a lot of people really like to go to Lake Savan. Oh yeah. Which is beautiful. It's one of the largest um lakes in the region. Um there there are some monasteries that are perched on the side. Uh so it's really good setting to go see a monastery with the lake view. Um and and then it's also a popular place for people to get away from Yerevan and go spend mm. some time in the lake. So I would say if you're going in the summer, it's going to be crowded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of people from not just from Armenia, but from Russia or other places that go there for vacation. Mm -hmm. um, but Dilijan is another one because it's more in there's a national park there. So it's very hilly. Uh, there's forests around, so it's a different setting, very uh, idyllic uh, rural setting. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't get to, I didn't get to do too many hikes as much as I would want to, but um, but those are probably some closer to places that are a little closer to Yerevan. The part that I had mentioned earlier, the Vratnavank, that is in this unique province, which is in the southeastern part of the country. So it's a little bit further. Uh, but that that might actually be my favorite region just just because of the number of things that it has that are fewer people, a little bit more off the beaten track. This, the hills and the mountains are prettier, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I just like it. And uh, 
but it's 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 the region that's right next to um, the disputed Artsakh or Nagorno-Karabakh. Yeah. And um, but um, I didn't, you know, the border areas right at the border could be a little sketchy. But when I was there, I didn't really feel like there was any issue. Mm. You know, I didn't feel like there was any issues or threats to my safety. So um, I guess it goes in waves, isn't it? Like sometimes there's there's news that sometimes it calms down. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, like everything, like everything, just pay attention to what's going on. Mm. um, But I didn't find that the, because there had been some uh, border attacks right before this event and it didn't impact event Hmm. Uh, i was worried it might but um it it just seemed to be isolated enough that it didn't make it didn't cause concern even the state department didn't issue a warning (laughs) sign so i don't usually pay attention to those but um but i at least like to know what they are so that i can manage other people's anxieties (laughs) about it's fair enough it's it's a wise uh bit of advice to double check what's going on um, but also to finish on Armenia, maybe just a bit of a fun one, like some of the dishes, like mm. food-wise. What any any favorites or ones that you would recommend? Yeah, um, well, lavash is their biggest, most ubiquitous thing, uh, and that's a bread. It's like a long bread, and and one of the, I did take a, like a day tour, uh, that stopped at a couple. Uh, sites, uh, the pagan temple of Garni, and then the monastery of Kagard. But then after that, we went to this um, this place, and they were making the fresh lavash, mm-hmm. and um, it was so good. And I learned <laughs> how, how they did it because the 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 hostel that I mentioned, um, they had lavash and they had all these vegetables, but it just it I w- I didn't understand that how they traditionally eat it is you take a a slab of the bread and then you put vegetables in it you might put some cheese or some sour cream as a base Mm. or something like that and you just roll it up and eat it kind of like a a burrito or a sandwich (laughs) um so once I found that I was like okay now it makes sense but uh but yeah that was really good and just everywhere Uh, a lot of the food is kind of like um middle eastern greek type of food but there's also a lot of Georgian food there so mm-hmm. so it, it kind of has this uh this mix I tried um the grape leaves which I know they have in a lot of other places but those were really good um I had probably my favorite dish it might not be a, a national dish I think it was just at this particular uh restaurant that I went to but um I wrote it down because I had to remember this it it was um, chicken, sour cream, nuts, and oranges, and curry. And oh. I don't think that's a typical Armenian, <laughs> but it was really good. <laughs> yeah, interesting mix. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, they'll have also snacks, like these big uh, walnuts mm-hmm. put together with fruit. Um, and they're like big, bo- like a ball or like a sausage type of thing. Actually, yeah. the name is Duke. So um, it's great for just carrying with you and snacking on when you're hungry because it, it's actually quite filling. I mean, there's nuts and the fruit juice that's been dipped 
they, they dip the nuts into like this fruit, this kind of thick fruit juice stuff that yeah. uh, kind of like fruit roll up, like a, a rubbery fruit mixture. And yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, wow. Fresh juices and fresh, fresh, everything, vegetables and, and, and stuff was really good. So yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And actually one more question I just thought of, and then we move on to French Polynesia is, did you fly from US? And if so, what is the route? Because uh, I reckon a lot of people are thinking, well, how do I get to Armenia? What's the yeah. what's the popular yeah. flight, flight pass there? Um, from the US, there's no direct flights, but I, and there, there were several ways to get there. Um, so because I was going to Georgia, I decided to fly into Yerevan and then out of Tbilisi. Yeah. So doing that was a little bit more expensive, not that much. Um, I think it, in general, Tbilisi is a little cheaper to fly into, but I flew through Brussels, okay. uh, Brussels Airways, and it actually, I had a layover in Brussels all day. So I got there early in the morning um, and then I, my flight was in the evening. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a chance to leave the airport and explore Brussels because I'd never been there either. So uh, that was an Same. added yeah. Uh, other than the fact that I didn't sleep on the flight on the way, so I was pretty cool. tired. Tired, yeah. But it was, it was. Uh, I always get the adrenaline of of a new place to get me going. So, mm. yeah, there there were a lot of other options. Um, I think most uh, major European cities have flights. I think there's one through Vienna, and um, there's Lufthansa has flights to the region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I'm trying to think of what else, but that for me that the the schedule that I picked was would get me there the best time. That the the problem with the arrival time was that it was like one one something in the morning, and that just seems to be a typical arrival time. Uh, I think some of the cheaper airlines from Europe do fly into. Uh, another airport I want to say Gumri uh, um, okay wasn't doing that so I didn't look into it but mm. uh, I did go to Gumri yeah. uh, you know, we didn't talk about Gumri was interesting because it's it's a little it's on the, the western part of the country uh, but <laughs> the thing I should mention there is uh, if you really like former Soviet architecture and kind of the the decadent um yeah, the Soviet decay, I guess, is the best way to yeah. it. So there's this fountain called the Iron Fountain. It's literally just this huge monstrosity. It looks like a, a spaceship, um, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Now, unfortunately, Gumri was hit by an earthquake in 1988, and it really, it destroyed that whole neighborhood. Mm lot of the city and killed quite a few people and they're still recovering i mean they're still rebuilding things um but that that particular fountain is evocative of like the former soviet era it's where it's quite quite a ways out of the this like in the suburb area of the city but uh, mm -hmm. I, this is the kind of stuff that i go out of my way to, <laughs> to see um but yeah anyway the Yerevan Airport is about a half an hour or so west of of Yerevan. Okay. But, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's 
like European listeners, there's loads of cities that probably fly to Yerevan. Um, but obviously, if you're based in North America, it's probably going to be a connection via Europe uh, or Middle East. I'm not sure um, what that's. Yeah, like. Dubai and Qatar, I think, also fly there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, not that this would impact Americans, but uh, when I was there, I actually met a lot of tourists from Iran mm-hmm. and uh, some from India. So I think, you know, from that part of the world, there there are direct flights, um, but from, yeah, for North Americans getting there, it would probably be through, um, yeah, either the, the, the European, like Brussels, Vienna, yeah. um, Germany, or maybe Dubai, Qatar. Okay, that's great. So that's cool. Uh, Armenia's on my list, so I'm probably next year. I'm probably going to go, but the only unfortunate thing for me is it's probably August, so that's going to be hot. Um, but I'm yeah. still figuring out. Um, to the potentially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the next country we're going to talk about is one I've seen on social media. The closest I've been to this country is the Cook Islands, which are amazing. Uh, but we're going to talk about French Polynesia because we all see the amazing photos and videos right on social media so you've been there uh obviously people thinking right now oh did you go to Bora Bora I'm sure you did but where did you actually go in French Polynesia and what can you advise people maybe if they want to go somewhere else apart from Bora Bora yeah so actually I did not get to Bora Bora Ah. um, partly because that's what everybody hears yeah (laughs) and I didn't necessarily want to go to a place that was so touristy and expensive i mean french polynesia Mm. is expensive in general but i really wanted to have kind of a more uh, so we went there in december of 2019 uh that was going to be (laughs) for a while (laughs) um but we went during christmas so the plan was to do some island hopping and then be somewhere for at least five days to just kind of chill over Christmas and have like a nice island vibe time mm. um and so we actually did pretty we did pretty well with our island hopping uh we went to Morea so okay so we flew into Tahiti you have to if you're yeah. coming national every all the flights go into Tahiti mm-hmm. and there is a ferry from Papeite, the capital, over to the island of Morea. Okay. So we just headed from the airport. We took a bus to the ferry terminal mm-hmm. and got right on um, a ferry going over to Morea. And so that's how we started our our trip because we were mm-hmm. going to come back to Tahiti at the end. Um, and we spent two nights in Morea. We rented a car. We We decided... You know, we're only there a total of 10 days. And so we really wanted to maximize it. This is when I was, you know, full, we both had full-time jobs. So mm-hmm. that was the the time to do it. And um, so we rented a car and drove around the island. We stayed at the southern part of the island in this little, um, I guess it was Airbnb, but it was like a, a kind of like a hostel. They had a breakfast in the morning where everybody that was staying there could could gather and actually mm. that was was nice we're still in touch with some of the people <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then uh, so i also had planned to get a traditional tattoo um and so uh, just happened to be the best tattoo artist in french polynesia is in morea and 
I tried to to figure out how to end in Morea and the the time the flight schedules and everything just worked out so that we did it this way. But um, so I did get a, the tattoo that second morning. Yeah. But then then we like went snorkeling and I was in the sun and the water. So that's that's not always the best uh, plan. But I would say don't don't do that. But we <laughs> didn't have a lot of options in terms of uh, what we what we were doing. So. Um, but Morea was a really good mix of uh, of everything. You can mm-hmm. you can have kind of the small island island life uh, as well as they had resorts and everything. So if you wanted that, you could do that. If you wanted something a little bit more pastoral, you could do that. There's a lot of stuff in the island to see. There's some beautiful mountain vistas, a couple parks, um, some some other neat little things we actually stopped on the way before we even got to our um where we were staying we stopped at this beach because we hadn't seen a beach in a while and we spent too long there I got a sunburn right where the tattoo was going to be so yeah <laughs> I, I didn't do so well with the uh the planning, but it's still it's fine um anyway after Morea we flew to an island called Rayatea yeah just spent one night there but it was really two days um Raiatea was kind of the capital of Polynesia, uh, the cultural Polynesia, which includes the New Zealand, you know, the Maori, mm-hmm. yeah, Maori, yeah, and uh, Cook Islands, and a, a lot, a lot Hawaii. There's a lot of different Fiji and all that, yeah, cultures there. And so there was this site on the island that was a cultural heritage site. Um, I forgot how to say it's like tapu tapate or something. I, I totally, <laughs> uh, but it was really neat with all these stones. And um, so again, we rented a car, drove around the island, and got to see lots of vistas and saw this uh, cultural heritage site. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next day, we took a an excursion in the water that stopped at a bunch of different places, and we went to the island of Taha'a, which is just north of Raiatea. There's no airport there. Um, and there there is a resort, so some people can stay there if they wanted to, but we we just didn't have the time. So we did the the tour around the island. We stopped at a an oyster, I mean a pearl farm, uh, a vanilla farm, mm-hmm. and we did snorkeling and, and things like that. So it was really a good way to at least get a taste of of that area. Um, and then we flew from Raiatea to Wahine. And Wahine is where we spent our five days during the kind of over Christmas. And that was kind of everything that I had hoped it would be. <laughs> uh, the only thing was that did ha- we did have some rain, but uh, what what I will say about the weather is whether it's rainy season or not, yeah, rain or not, like it's it's kind of, you just take take what you get. Don't put too much mm-hmm. uh, concern into the the weather because people will have, you know, can have ten days of perfectly sunny weather during the rainy season, or ten days of rainy weather during the dry season. So um, we had a little bit of uh, of both. And um, when is because, the when is the official dry season? Um, actually, I don't know off the top of my head. I just this so this whole trip wasn't planned 
per se. Um, okay. I mean, I wanted to go to the Pacific for a while, but yeah. we found one of those, uh, it used to be Scott's cheap flights, but it was go. it's now going. Right. And uh, they had a, a deal with Air France from Washington, D.C. to Tahiti for less than $500. So wow. we were like, okay, we're going to make this happen. So, um, and yeah, the flights within Tahiti were probably for 70 something. Yeah. So almost the same as just falling all the way there. Yeah. I think that's pretty normal for like the small islands in the South Pacific. Yeah. yeah. And certain, yeah, there's flight, you can get a pass that I think saves just a little bit. Um, if you go to a certain oh uh, yeah 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 have like groups of islands and I really wanted to try to get to another island group but again it would have it would have kind of interfered with our five days of just not doing a lot I mean we mm. did a lot of stuff but it was I just didn't want to have to move every every day yeah um, and I I'd prefer to stay longer so Wahine was great because uh, we we rented a car for a couple days of it but we stayed close enough to the, the the little town that we could walk uh around and then uh the days we rented the car we maximized that by going to all the the places that were further away and the sites that were there there's just a lot of little things like there's a there's a stream that has these blue-eyed eels that are sacred no. and um you can you can buy like a tin of mackerel and and feed them or something like that <laughs> but um and then there's these uh fish traps that are v-shaped fish traps that are date back to you know a long time ago traditional fishing methods and just yeah. stuff like that there are a couple mm-hmm. of museums lots of um vantage points to to look out we did another excursion in the water one day uh, where we went around the island and snorkeled and did stuff like that so um, and then just kind of relaxed and we we had a little kitchenette so we went to the store Christmas morning they were open got some fish yeah. local fish and got some uh, they they had a little place there that made their own uh, liqueur fruit and chocolate and all sorts of different kinds of stuff and so we got some of that went back had a nice Christmas while it was pouring rain that evening but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I just I just googled it. it. Officially, it's May to October. That's a dry okay. season. Okay. Uh, but like you, like you say, it's it's never set in stone. Like yeah. from my experience. <laughs> yeah. So Wahini was really, really, kind of met the expectations that were the kind of the kind of situation we wanted. Um, the place where we stayed, the one of the proprietors was just really friendly. We were there. It was a Friday night, and every Friday at the the local bar. They have dancing and stuff mm. like I want to go dancing and do you want to go? And it was like, okay, sure. I mean, we were going to that place anyway, all the time. So, um, so it was cool to have that interaction with the locals because mm. I, you know, I've never been to Hawaii, but I know sometimes, you know, the tourist tourism can get kind of separate the local population from the yeah. tourists. I felt mm. here that everybody was just enjoying them their lives and themselves and they weren't I mean they didn't have that many tourists but um I just felt a much more warmer environment 
Was there a lot of tourists, or would you say it wasn't that touristy for you? I didn't think to Wahini, I mean... Or in uh, general, the whole islands? Um, probably, I mean, we really didn't see a whole lot. We did go uh, when we were on Morea. Uh, they had a cultural show that was on the beach at one of the Hilton resorts. So we did go there and we got like, you know, drinks to watch that. Um, but so that's probably where a lot of the tourism is, uh, you know, mm. I, I almost said, unfortunately, but it's, it's not my place to judge how people want to take their. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, Especially now that I'm, you know, I tend to, I don't work, I don't have a full-time job. So my, I don't have a vacation the same way that somebody that just needs to yeah. get away from their stressful job. But, um, but I've always preferred to interact with the culture at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I know going to uh, a chain and watching it probably isn't the best way, but at least it it was something. And um, we did notice there were more people there, but I, I didn't feel that it was super crowded. I'm trying to think of how far in advance we booked our places. Yeah, probably, probably at least a few months. Mm -hmm. I think the time of year you're going, oh, but then it's Christmas, you wouldn't need to book in advance, I think. Uh, but like when it's the wet season, I think a lot of people don't, obviously don't go. So I think it's, I think you're okay. But in the dry season, I imagine like for the summer, Northern Hemisphere summer, you're going to have to book in advance. I uh, think that's what I, I, I remember reading and researching about, you know, do I need to book, you know, how, mm. how much planning do you need to do? And it's like, well, a lot of, because it's a French, you know, it's part of France. So... Mm -hmm people from france want to go on yeah. holiday during the cold weather there so it makes sense that they might have you know more or fewer options for for lodging so mm -hmm. uh, yeah but we had we had great you know mostly airbnb type of places that we stayed at um and this place that we stayed at, at wahini it wasn't it was like a i don't know what pension or one of those kind it was like a, a small there were six or seven different rooms yeah uh, there were i think they were all full but um yeah yeah but it, was, it felt quiet it just felt everything was laid back it definitely didn't feel crowds or any of that kind of thing right um, okay so. that's good because i think people would fear right you pay all the money and it's like crowded with tourists but maybe if you're strategic about it, you can maybe avoid the main crowds. And there was some other, I mean, these, so all of these places that we went were in what they call the society islands. So there's oh, different, okay. there's the societies, there's the Tuamotus, there's the Marquesas and the Ostros yeah. and the Gambiers. So those are five major island groups. Um, and yeah, I really wanted to try to swing another one, but you know, they're, they're pretty far far apart especially the marquesas that that would be it's that's kind of its own trip anyway because they have a right. total different culture and language mm -hmm. uh, than the rest of the the islands but um yeah the the tuamotus were made up because i did a lot of looking at at these places uh, those tuamotus were more of the atoll type of islands uh, okay got it yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. the society islands were a, a lot of them were volcanic you know central hills or mountains mm. uh, or Bora Bora of course has kind of a it's a mountain with the with the ring around it and then the, yeah that's a classic the, photo isn't it yeah um, 
And then there's another island further beyond Bora Bora that we really wanted to go to called Malpiti. But again, the timing just didn't work. I think we would have chosen that over Wahaney before knowing. I mean, we had a great time, so I wouldn't change anything now. But um, we really, it was really, because Malpiti sounded like it's even more off the beaten track. Uh, there were fewer people that go there just because it's further away. And also, I think there was no, um, everything is cash-based. So there's oh, no, okay. you have to kind yeah. of plan bring all the money that you think you're going to need there because <laughs> there's no way for you to get money. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it also sounded really, um, really exotic. So I was okay. like, I just want to go back, but I was like, yeah, it's always the place to go back. This is a patron shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed five pounds to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my patron. The website address is patreon.com forward slash Wigginet Travel Podcast. For five English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself in the post, a shout out on each episode, and also my digital travel planner by email. Thank you for your support. We rented, we, we knew we didn't have a whole lot of time there, but pretty much what I had read is that Tahiti, while it has a lot of stuff and a lot of people tend to think of the whole, I mean, people call French Polynesia Tahiti. Yes. Uh, even though really it's, that's just one of the islands, but, mm-hmm. um, but we, we really liked where we, we did a little loop on the West. If you can picture the Island of Tahiti almost as like two islands fused together. So we kind of were, we did a loop around the Western part mm-hmm. um, where they, where the two sections meet, there's a little town and we kind of just went around that and saw some waterfalls, black sandy beaches, just beautiful landscapes, and then came back um and just went out uh and papiete at night um you know papiete is kind of a big city it it's not really that big but <laughs> compared to everywhere else it's it seems like a big gritty city um and so you know there's some things to see we didn't really get to the museums or any of that stuff but um you know i think it would be worthwhile i would like to have seen like a national museum or something like that but um you know, we, we just wanted to spend more time seeing the other islands. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I thought, you know, I was kind of thinking eh, Tahiti would be less interesting, but I actually really enjoyed it too. So, um, but yeah, then we, then we headed out the next morning um, to go home. So, but yeah, it was definitely um, a memorable trip, especially since that was the last one. Yeah, um, of course. And uh, I, yeah, if it hadn't been for that flight deal, I might not have gotten there then. So um very fortunate to have that, have had that. And is it as idyllic as the people see on internet? Yeah, I would say, you know, there's definitely a lot of of scenes, even in Tahiti, um, that were just like, wow, this is <laughs> this is insane. Um, just beautiful yeah. tropical setting uh with the beaches and the mountains in the background and yeah definitely <laughs> okay so it's a definite must in okay i think for people it just seems like a, just a long way away from anywhere like in yeah. terms of it's, it's a real effort to get there in, like imagine you're from europe you've got to go like 
well, how the hell do I, where do I start? Like, it's just yeah. um, so miles it's anyway. I, I don't blame people for just staying in one place because, yeah, I mean, and, and I think Bora Bora, from what I did research, you know, it is more expensive because it's kind of the, it's a destination that people sometimes just go there. I mean, they mm. fly in and then go there, but there are, there are always ways to get off, you know, and away from, from the crowd. You can rent a car there. Um, I think one thing that would have been interesting is that, uh, because I think the I, the airport is on one of the motus, which is the kind of the islands that surround the central island of Bora okay. Bora. Yeah, um, yeah, motu is like a there. There are a lot of these islands that have a um a chain of islands around them. So those yeah. are motu, and I think the airport is on one of those. And so mm-hmm. you have to take a boat across this lagoon to get to the the main. You know, probably mm-hmm. where main island so that would have been neat and there was a, i think Mapiti had a similar situation but also there was a place where you could walk across the lagoon to another island oh. and that i would that's why i was like oh i really want to go there but you know just can only do so much but that next time that really sounded <laughs> and the the tuamotus because they're just i mean looking at the map you're like how do, how does anybody live on these tiny little yeah in google earth and just it's like just a few trees and some houses and that's it but um that would be another type of uh, of trip and then the southern islands are too they're just even more remote so i i would definitely um and there's also a whole bunch of islands that nobody ever talks about um mm even on kind of the the fourth tier of of places like I don't even know how you would get there but Mm -hmm. there's a population if you zoom in I got obsessed with all these islands and I was zooming in on the map and like there's houses so somebody lives there but how do you get there I want to go there (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah there's there's quite a few and then Air Tahiti or wait it was confusing because the Air Tahiti is one and then there's Air Tahiti Nui I think is the local airline okay. but in any case uh they do have a lot of flights to some of these other islands and then from those islands i think you ha- you would have to take a boat or a ferry yeah. or something. that would complicate it even more but some of the some of the some of the islands they were just like everything seems to have something to offer depending on how much you want to disconnect mm-hmm. like that is not that great there anyway um, but if you go to some of these islands, there's just nothing. So if you want that, then then pick pick your remote island and, and get away <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it's it's far. <laughs> Dreamy. Okay. And we're gonna finish your travels with one final island, which is gonna be the Falkland Islands. An interesting place because as a Brit, what do you think of probably the military, the war? That's probably yeah. about it. But someone visiting there as a tourist is quite unique, I think. So what was the thinking there? And why did you want to go to the Falkland Islands? Falkland Islands, should I say? Um, well, so this was actually part of a expedition cruise to Antarctica. And uh, okay. I wanted to go to Antarctica as my seventh and final continent um, for quite some time. It had been kind of a goal. Uh, I think it was originally supposed to be 2020. And then, you know, didn't happen. And then uh, just started talking to a friend and he'd wanted to go and it just kind of came together. Um, 
you know, mid year last year and we booked our tickets. But as I was doing the research, my original thought was just, I was just going to go find a last minute cheap, whatever cheap means, right? It's still expensive <laughs> uh, to go there. But then there were a lot of options to include South Georgia and the Falkland Islands. And I thought those are really, those would be hard to get to, you know, independently. And yeah. this is just part of the whole thing. I might as well just go big. And <laughs> so I, uh, so yeah, we, we got an 18 day excursion that included Falkland Island, South Georgia, and then the Antarctic Peninsula. And so that was how I was able to get there. Now you can go independently. Um, I actually know somebody that did, that spent a week there. Um, it really would, I mean, there's a lot of, of other things that I would have liked to have seen mm. uh, at limited time based on the cruise yeah. uh, schedule. But, uh, but we had two full days there and they were really, the, each, each stop was like a separate day, really. So um, the first landing was in Stanley, the capital. Mm -hmm. So we had to take our Zodiac boats from the ship to the dock. And we, we had the morning where we saw some wildlife and some penguins uh, not too far from Stanley, but then the rest of the day and afternoon, we got to explore Stanley. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the largest city we had been in in our entire trip. I mean, since <laughs> yeah. well, two, over two weeks before. So it was, <laughs> it was a ooh, big metropolis here. Uh, it's very, it's a very charming, you know, it's right there on the water. Uh, it's very Brit. There's the British phone booth and, you know, the post office, which of course I go to all the post offices I can when I travel. <laughs> um, and a lot of shops and, and, uh, some museums that the the local museum that had the main museum of the Falkland Islands was actually really good and they had some shops and different things so it was and pubs of course that I had they had a brewery I found the mm. one brewery, yeah uh, good beer uh, I went to a, a pub and had some local fish and chips and uh, talked to the the woman that that was working there and it was interesting because I was able to get a little bit more insight into how you know how everything is now because <clears throat> most i mean if americans even are familiar with the falkland islands it's probably because of the war mm. and i had started this fall antarctic trip in ushuaia which is the furthest south in um in argentina yeah in tierra del fuego well <laughs> there there's signs everywhere that says islas malvinas 40 years so islas malvinas is what they refer to as the Falkland Islands in Spanish in Argentina. And, um, you know, Islas Malvinas son Argentinas, and it's, it's quite everywhere still. Yeah. And I got this insight from this uh, woman at the pub that, yeah, there, you know, she, she said she's on social media and she gets kind of hate messages uh, from people that don't even know her, like young people that weren't even alive. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's definitely a an interesting awkward situation because they're really close uh, we actually had some argentinians on our cruise ship oh which is probably one of the only ways they can get there or maybe feel comfortable getting there to to see it um but you know regardless of how anybody feels about that i mean then 
well, I forget what year it was, but the there was a referendum and and the Falcon Islanders oh, were yeah. like almost almost ninety nine percent, wasn't it? I think something like that. Yeah. Um, and what I was surprised about there was the diversity. I just expected to see mostly British like people there. Well, that's my question. Yeah, what was it like? Yeah. <laughs> so I had heard uh, that the they told us that the on the cruise ship that. Um, because of the war, there were a lot of mines that, that yes. had been placed. <clears throat> and to demine the island, they had hired this group of, well, deminers <laughs> from Zimbabwe. And then uh, a lot of the cruise ship workers live there. Um, so there's a Filipino, um, there's uh, other populations from, from different regions. And I would think also from different uh, you know, former, like the British Commonwealth. Uh, one thing that it was interesting to know is that education is paid for by, so if you become a resident of, or, um, a citizen of the Falkland Islands, you can have education. So a lot of the, some of the, um, the kids, <laughs> whatever get, they would go on to college in the UK, mm. it would be paid for. Yeah. Um, so if your family lived there for a while, then they could apply for residency, get residency, and then their children could go off to university or whatever. So it was a, yeah, it's a relatively small population. I don't think there's more than 5,000, 4,000 people in the whole uh, territory. So um, it was actually interesting to know that, but, uh, but sad that the, you know, the sentiments are still there from the Argentinian side and, and really um looking at the museum and just hearing different things you you get the sense that you know nobody everybody was a kind of a, a loser a victim in that because yeah. these young soldiers from Argentina didn't know what they were not prepared uh this woman was telling me some horror stories about what she had encountered and um but aside from that I mean it's a really interesting place I mean Stanley as a city uh, just very tranquil and quaint. Um, but then we went to the West Falklands uh, on our next day and went to two islands. So these each island or most of the islands are owned by some family. And so each island kind of has a, a settlement, which is like yeah. the farm of the family and maybe a, a, another. And um, we on, we went to Carcass Island and we did a hike from one beach to the settlement. And then they had uh, baked little cakes and goodies. And we we were told there'll, there'll be some cakes there, but we didn't expect it to be an operation. There was like <laughs> whole staff with coffee and tea and then about 30 different kinds of desserts. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it was this cute little uh, place that, they rent out uh, a lot of these islands have like a, a, a bed and breakfast mm. type of thing. The only way in, if you're staying there as a guest, you'd have to fly um, unless you oh. have your boat because yeah, there's yeah. no other way to get there. Yeah. Uh, but it was very uh, peaceful and interesting to, to see. And then there, there is a lot of different kind of wildlife, especially from what we had seen in you know, South Georgia. Mm. Um, and then Saunders Island was the last stop. And that was probably my 
favorite because it had it kind of had it all. Um, it had beautiful beaches, even though the weather was chilly. Uh, it was beautiful beaches. The sun was out. Um, we we went up this really steep hill. We got to see penguins and sheep together, which apparently that's the only place you can do that. Uh, okay, that's an interesting uh, fact, isn't it? It's one of those <laughs> your photo shots because it, it, it's rare that you'll be able to see those two species. Yeah. No thought um, of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we got to walk up to this area of nesting um, black-browed albatrosses, and they their nests are kind of like a bowl shape that they that they make and they're all sitting in there just like all spaced out and then at the edge of one of them there were a bunch of rockhopper penguins which was the seventh species of penguins that we had seen on the trip wow. seventh at last yeah uh, we didn't see the emperor penguins on the trip but every like we saw we saw the the most of the ones that you can see and uh just oh and below in the sea there were some dolphins swimming and it was just like perfect way to end the trip but um very little population on you know in these areas i think there was a family that lived on the other side of the island but we didn't go to the settlement there uh, but it was really all about the penguins and the wildlife and um we would walk down on the beach and got to see um a bunch of uh, stuff there like the penguins and, and from from the other angle uh, so definitely worth uh, worth stopping there. If if you had more opportunity to go around, I think that you could on some of the islands, like the the main mainland uh, of West Falkland and East Falkland, you could probably rent a car and drive mm -hmm. around. But the the airline called Fegus, I don't know what it stands for, Falkland Islands General Aviation Services. Uh, that's kind of their charter flights that that fly to these different islands so that their tourist season would probably be in the well their summer their summer yeah in february mm. um, and you know when we it was the morning stop that we made uh because i had looked at the forecast and and they kind of looked like okay well we were just in antarctica this is further north we'll be fine but it was freezing. The weather <laughs> just totally went through every single layer. Everybody was freezing. But then by the afternoon, um, it warmed up to uh, probably in the mid 20s Celsius. And it was just beautiful. The sun was out. Um, we sat outside drinking our beers and just like, oh, this is nice. Um, I think it's, it's known for its four seasons in one day. I think. Yeah. yeah. Definitely experienced that. We didn't say we didn't have any snow. But that morning was was quite brisk, and uh, um, but yeah, it, it, it was. I, I went to the bank and got some money. They were prepared because I collect currencies as well, mm -hmm. so um, I handed over some some cash, and they they already had like all the coins in a little bag because they I guess there are enough people that ask for that. Um, but then I got some extra money to spend in one of the pubs or something. And is it pounds? Had, is it English pounds? So it's a Falkland Island pound, but uh, it is tied to the the British pound. So I think it. it's the same exchange rate, but it's it's their own currency. Got it. And mm. the, the coins have like different animals, like the pink different kinds of penguins and the the wara, which is an extinct kind of creature that used to be there with like a wolf type of creature. Um, it doesn't 
uh, but it was the only um i think it was only found in the falklands so uh okay um and the museum had a, a stuffed version of one and, <laughs> um, but yeah it was it was pretty neat to see that to, to to experience that and just didn't expect to see the diversity i walked past the playground and it was like you could see the kids playing and um they yeah. were quite a quite a more of a diversity than i'd expected um there's a lot of uh hit well because falkland islands is still associated with the whaling industry because of south georgia mm -hmm. and were a couple markers of demonstrating that you know whales were slaughtered by the oh, right. there's some some mm. things there. Uh, there were a couple monuments definitely they they were there was a monument to margaret thatcher uh, oh. because it was you know the prime minister during the war so i think Course, it, yeah. it's very popular that was something that i don't think i've seen before but i don't uh, think you'll see that very often <laughs> um but yeah it, it was it was a neat stop and uh i certainly didn't i was the last one on the boat riding the boat back with the staff um uh, because i didn't want to leave <laughs> <laughs> i want another pint but uh that was it was a good trip um, yeah my, my only other question would be like individually traveling there which countries can you fly to in south america or fly from yeah so i think the the main flights are coming from chile, chile. Um, okay actually they were uh, they were telling me that um they get a weekly shipment of like fruit and stuff that doesn't grow there mm. it comes from chile and so for chile i think they're pleased with the arrangement because they there's a there's a close relationship there um it either flies from punta arenas or maybe you know maybe other places but that's kind of the the most logical place mm. and that's also a place where a lot of antarctic uh, expeditions start um but yeah there's not really an easy way to get mm. there the most logical way would would be from argentina but there's no flights yeah no flights yeah i don't think they risk that <laughs> And I had to be, you know, I spent some time in Argentina after this cruise and I made sure to say Islas Malvinas <laughs> because right. it's like, I don't want to, I don't have any, I'm not involved in the history of it. Right. Yeah. 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 I just don't want to, <laughs> some people just are, are very touchy about it. And so you have to be aware of that, but you know, I didn't feel that anybody there are plenty of British tourists on on the ship, and um, and then in Argentina, I met plenty. I don't think there's any issues that way, but I think if you start talking about it, you might there might be some <laughs> some tension. But for the most part, um, yeah, it's just an arrangement that 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 has worked, has has happened, and now it's they've kind of got it down with uh, with Chile. I think there might be there might be another way to get there but um i'm not yeah i'm not familiar mm. i guess there's a big military base there as well i'd imagine because my couple of friends i know were based there so i guess yeah. there's still a military presence on the island it's it's a you know we're not gonna go into the the history of it but it's just a bit awkward because if the population say no 99.5 percent yeah. say no but argentina want it back well th there's no no one can win here because right the, the residents don't want it Argentina do so what happens if 
yeah, it's just a bit of a Doesn't, awkward yeah. situation. Yeah, and I, I, it, I think I've been, you know, felt thought about that too. Like, regardless of the historical claims or mm. all of that, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, the current reality is that the life, the generations have passed. So, so many generations have passed that it doesn't make sense to have um, that relationship with Argentina and. You, know, you could say the same for other countries in the world that have yeah. kind of a disputed situation. And um, yeah, it just kind of puts the people that are living there in the middle and kind of, you know, mm. um, but I know that um, the people that I, you know, the general demeanor in the very, very short time that I was there seemed that, um, you know, people seemed to be pleasant enough and nobody looked upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I've, I've I've been in places where kind of the general outlook looks bleak and and there maybe because it was the weather was nice everybody was in a good mood so I don't know <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> okay we're gonna delve into your just a slight travel philosophy first and then we'll go onto uh, websites blogs etc um so I mentioned we mentioned before we started recording about uh how you like to travel like slow, try and introduce slow travel really immerse yourself in the culture so just tell us a little bit how you see travel and how you like to travel yourself yeah I mean uh now I because I have left my full-time job I'm trying to be a lot more intentional and slower about travel uh, because it's not a vacation uh, but really what's always driven me has been curiosity mm. and that is that's kind of my I mean just not just about travel uh, but I think having that about life extends into travel because I want to know what's around the corner, what's on that island, what do they eat, why is this here? I mean, it just it goes on. And so mm -hmm. sometimes, um, you know, you can't do everything, but I really try to uh, explore as much as I can, connect with the people to get a sense of what life is like there for them. and. Yeah, just be open more to experience than having to go check off a bunch of places to see. Uh, that said, of course, I do enjoy the planning process of what is there to do there, what is there to see. Um, I might make a list, I might make a plan with dates and kind of plan that all out. But then I kind of have a big asterisk, <laughs> all subject to change based on, you know, I want to be available if... I run into somebody that invites me to their mm. brother's wedding and it's like, I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great because you don't, <clears throat> you can't plan that into your trip. It's the stuff like that, that I want to be open to. Um, and also just because I'm, uh, I'm having to balance work. Uh, I have clients uh, and trying to put different social media stuff together for my, you know, trying to create this travel brand <clears throat> right now so I'm just balancing that with, with just being in a place so um, I really let curiosity be my guide for that for all of it and try to do some work but then if if I'm just feeling the urge to go out and explore then I'll do it just walk around sometimes that's a lot of my agenda is just I'm here I'm going to go walk around something might come up if not, at least I'll see something different that I hadn't seen yesterday. And 
that's that's really all I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I keep the expectations to a point of always being um, open to discovery, then I won't be disappointed. If I'm looking for something specific mm. and, and searching and not finding it, then then I'm going to get disappointed. And I think a lot of people go into to, to their vacations and travel that way. They they have to go see this. They have to have that one experience. They have to have that Instagram photo with the flowing dress on Santorini or whatever. But like, yeah. uh, and if it doesn't work out perfectly, they're going to have a, a bit of a negative experience about it. Um, not everybody, but I think I just try to abandon that and, you know, as much as I can. So certainly sometimes things happen. I got sick when I was in Armenia, so I just didn't feel like going to these, uh, there's these caves that I really wanted to see uh, the people used to live in and it, it just wasn't going to happen that day. So I still got to experience something else. And that's, that, that is my philosophy. Just try to experience as much as you can while you're there. You're not going to see everything unless you can find a ticket to more immortality <laughs> subject to uh, you know, the whims of the situation at hand, you know, there's places that don't exist anymore. There's countries that changed governments. And mm. now, you know, when I grew up, Venezuela was not, I mean, it was easy to go to Venezuela, but it's really tough now. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's different places like that. And, and conversely, there's places that might not be, safe or open right now but give it some time and and so that's kind of where i'm at with my um travels try to go to the places that are accessible right now and hope that later i can get to some of the other places so we'll see <laughs> that's awesome and you do blog about these on your website so can you tell people your website and also what blogs you have written or how often you plan to maybe <laughs> some in the future <laughs> yeah well so i'm kind of undergoing this metamorphosis right now of uh creating a a travel brand that's a little bit more consistent i've had blogs for years off and on starting like just like a journal and then um having a lot of different um interruptions <laughs> but pretty much now um i so my website is john the traveler so it's one l traveler mm -hmm. uh, that <laughs> I just found that URL was open and I thought that's too good to pass up. So yeah. that uh, that is my website. I haven't been posting as much there as I have on Instagram and Facebook, just because there's always so much going on when I'm traveling. I usually try to do um, end of the day updates. Um, and so my plan right now is to try to have at, at least once a month or so some sort of blog post right now i'm working on the the costs of what i spent in armenia mm -hmm. um, to kind of break it down into what i did and what you know what my costs were because there's always some unforeseen things and then some things that i saved money on and that sort of thing so um but yeah that's the, the plan would try to be once a month and then daily on my instagram which is also in Facebook and threads whenever. <laughs> yeah. That's as much as I can handle right now. I have a YouTube channel, but um, well, I have a couple things on there, but it's not, it's not active yet, really. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Okay. So I'll put links for all those in the show notes so people can uh, follow you or 
least have the option to go on your website. And I've read some of your blogs in there, so they are great. And my next question would be, just lastly, before we get to the travel questions at the end, what's next for your travels? So I am planning a trip to the Horn of Africa in November. Oh. Um, yeah. November, early December, kind of trying to figure out options. It's the type of place that I might want to get in on a, a little group tour just to make it easier to get from point A to point B. Um, but I have looked at doing some of it. I know you can do most things solo. Um, I prefer solo travel, mm -hmm. but just the timing and I do still have to have an occasional um, internet connection to to work with my clients. <laughs> uh, that's the, that's one thing that I didn't used to have. So that is my next trip to um, so Djibouti, Somaliland, yeah. Ethiopia and Eritrea. So that's that's kind of the four that I'm looking at right now for about a month to a month and a half. Nice. That sounds an amazing trip. Looks like it's the best. I mean, most of the places that I was looking at and I wanted to go to Africa. I hadn't been there since 2011. <clears throat> and it was just really high on my list to calling me back. And uh, but a lot of places were um, it's the rainy season oh. and I don't really want to spend most of my time wet so <laughs> i'd rather be hot and dry than than wet um, yeah i wanted to go to places that were a little bit more challenging so my um so my partner won't have too much fomo <laughs> <laughs> south africa would have been a tough one because there's so many you know, yeah nice cool things to see there that uh, i think we'll go there another time so okay that's a great trip okay we're gonna finish my quick fire travel questions at the end here. So these are normally some of your favorite things or spots or foods and stuff around the world. And my first question is, Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Tee Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me, displaying all my social media content for traveling podcast and other stuff thank you three countries that you have traveled to that you would say are some of your favorites yeah so i i mentioned i don't typically do favorites because i always there's always something to see everywhere i go but uh i know this is a popular question so i have places that i would say probably fit that bill so yeah. uh, one would be peru Peru just has a mixture of of everything, and um, I really enjoyed Machu Picchu, but also some of the other lesser known things, uh, stuff that I didn't have high expectations for because I didn't know much about them. Mm -hmm. uh, the food, the people, uh, the different landscapes. Yeah, I really just, it really called to me when I was in Peru. Um, another one would be Tajikistan. Oh. So, <laughs> a little bit different. Um, yeah. But I was there for a month in 2008 after I had gone back to Uzbekistan to go to that wedding. I traveled around 
And I think that was probably one of the more transformative trips for me because it was October, mid-October. So it was kind of getting away from the, the tourist season, which wasn't much back then. Um, so I ended up getting stranded in this little town and thought I was wasting all this time, but it ended up being really, I ended up just meeting local people, hanging out with them, um, just walking around. People would invite you to their house. And and I feel like every day in Tajikistan was an adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a few days that I wasn't sure I was going to make it because of the <laughs> roads. and But it was like just the adrenaline factor and the stories and the memories are just so strong and fresh. I really, really enjoyed Tajikistan. Mm -hmm. um, and ooh, to try to to try to figure out where else um, I you know I I want to pick a geographically uh, different place and and I'll just add Uruguay because that was this year and oftentimes my favorites are where I just had come from but yeah. uh, Uruguay was really special I didn't have a lot of expectations because it was right next to Argentina so I was like well I'll just go across the ferry and check it out but it really impressed me with everything the beaches and um the the laid-back people the population was just it was just so chill and uh, i really liked the the cities that i went to and everything so yeah uruguay for sure okay and if you could pick one city in the world to drink a coffee and watch the world go by where are you going to drink your coffee Hmm, coffee. Well, so, since you mentioned coffee, I have to pick somewhere in Colombia. Um, of course. <laughs> uh, that was that was a, that was a contender for uh, one of the top favorites because I was only there for a week, but we had a friend in the coffee region, and so we got to go to some plantations and get some of the coffee stuff. Coffee, mm. and it really is the best coffee. So I would say just sitting in a little cafe, maybe city. Uh, might be a stretch, but it's uh, called Salento, and um, just a, a sit and watch the town square, just yeah. having your delicious coffee that you know was just from down the road. and Dream. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, and what about a top three favorite cuisines that you've experienced on the road? Mm. Uh, well, probably, probably Sicily. Uh, we, I mean, I still remember some of the meals there and it's Italy, but yet it's really distinct. And 90% of the menus were completely even translated. Like I've never seen any of that on any Italian menu <laughs> in the United States or anywhere I've been in my life. And some of that food was just incredible mm -hmm. and the wine and everything. Yeah. Sicily for sure was memorable. I have a lot, but that we'll we'll stop with that one. <laughs> and you get three here, so you can name oh, two three. more. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, because so, if people have been to loads of countries, you can have a little a little bit of leeway with the three op three options here. Yeah. Um well then I will probably pick Thailand because I mean I love Thai food anywhere, mm. but Thailand it was really, yeah, just even just a basic pad thai just so satisfying it's like the comfort food i never knew about yeah growing up in kansas we did not have <laughs> kind of cuisine 
Um, <laughs> the first time I tried a lot of ethnic cuisines was either in the country that they're from or mm -hmm. another country like Uzbekistan. I tried a bunch of different cuisines there because I just didn't, wasn't familiar with them. Yeah. Um, and then a third would probably be more, uh, well, Turkey, Turkey, because it kind of combines the, some of the Mediterranean cuisine, but it's really got its own and every city kind of has a specialty. So mm -hmm. I really liked that I was there for a couple of weeks before I realized I'd only eaten Turkish food. Usually when I'm traveling, you'll find a place that even just for budget reasons, you just eat like pizza or, you know, a burger or something that's, uh, or maybe even another cuisine, but not the local, but Turkey mm. was, just, was always so much that I, and I didn't know anything about Turkish food before that. So um, it was, it was always uh, a discovery point too when you go to the next city like what's their specialty and, and try to find it and find what's different there so yeah for sure okay and out of all the countries you travel to what's been the best country for budgeting so where does a dollar go the furthest in your opinion hmm um well probably still true but um somewhere in central like tajikistan or oh, yeah. Uzbekistan, um I mean, Indonesia, so when I traveled in late 99, early 2000, um, I traveled around Southeast Asia. And a lot mm. of those countries were very affordable. They're, very, they're affordable now for most people's standards, but at that time, oh, yeah. uh, super cheap. And I think I, I, re I remember keeping a note of like the most expensive place that we stayed and the most and the cheapest. And I think the cheapest was a room that I split with my travel partner and it was like 35 cents each <laughs> in Indonesia. Um, wasn't the best, but it was okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, that, that definitely, I, I, maybe I'll just pick Indonesia because I think it was a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Something yeah. I think it still is the case. Some, some people have said the answer. Okay. And what about if you can live in one country for one year, where are you going to live? Uh, well, I probably would say Argentina. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I really liked Buenos Aires and, um, it just, it felt, it felt comfortable. It felt like home in a way, mm -hmm. uh, but not, yeah, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to stay longer. I wanted to live there longer. So I would say that. And okay. it's also affordable right now for Americans at least. Yeah. Uh, you have a dollar <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <The right> exchange rate <laughs> yeah their inflation's crazy okay uh, what about a favorite beach hmm oh that's a tough one because there's kind of different categories of that but uh one of the most memorable beaches well okay in general i would say thailand because mm -hmm. there's just there's so many options um there's one though in Myanmar that was really hard to get to, but it was just miles and miles of beaches with nobody on it. Uh, and that that was pretty cool. And then Anguilla, I, I want to shout out to Anguilla because uh, that's where that's where we spent our honeymoon. But um, some of those beaches were definitely like the Caribbean picture postcard. Actually, there was a postcard that I found that was right where we were staying. There was a mm -hmm. particular 
thing I recognized. So yeah, there's there's three. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, three, three is absolutely allowed. Okay. What about a favorite walk, hike, or trek? Hmm. I'm trying not to repeat places just so I can throw extra ones in, but ah, I keep thinking of Tajikistan and Peru. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just, I mean, the mountains in Tajikistan, there's just nobody there and it's wild and unexplored. Peru, some of the vantage points going up, uh, especially where there's some views of ruins. Uh, yeah, that's, and I don't know, Armenia, I didn't get to hike as much as I wanted to, but I think that would be a place to hike across the country if I could, mm. if I could for sure. Okay, yeah. next question. You already mentioned your trip this year you got coming up. So let's ignore that for a second. Three countries that you'd love to travel to next, you know, no no rules here, as you haven't been to them, what three are you gonna choose? Uh, Ireland, Iceland, New Zealand. Oh, all very similar. <laughs> In terms no, of like geography well, and, and vibe I mean, and feel. This is always tough. I, I I constantly make a list and then change it. And those are kind of the those are more popular places. Uh, but I think because um my I mean in Scotland would probably be should probably be tied up there because I, embarrassingly enough, I haven't been there. My last name's Mackenzie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I have Irish background too. And so um, those are just places that I always hear about, but I would, uh, if you will indulge me to leave a, an alternate list of more off the beaten track kind yeah. of place. Yeah. I would say Tonga, mm -hmm. um, Malawi and Bhutan. Oh yeah. Bhutan. It's always on my list. It's just quite expensive. Yeah. And maybe, um, Maybe I should replace Malawi with Mauritius because that Ooh. that has kind of been on the top of my list for longer. Mm. So, yeah, and and it's just it's it's kind of the next. It really is kind of my next bucket list. But I tend to travel based on a lot of factors. You know, flight deals, weather, timing, whims. Just somebody mentions a place, and I'll get in a rabbit hole of wanting to go there. And <laughs> Um, or there's an event somewhere that's that's yeah. been this trip to Africa has been uh, is probably one of the few ones that I've actually just planned without having some event there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Two more questions. The last or penultimate question is going to be three favorite states in the US. Oh, well, um, I will say. North Carolina is one because it has a lot of everything. It's got mountains on the west coast, west coast, but western part of the country. <laughs> coast has the beaches, and then you've got uh, cities and and you know other parts of North Carolina. So it's kind of got a lot of a uh, thing. It could be some place that we look at for retirement, even. So mm -hmm. um, I uh, I've always liked North Carolina, and my others are going to be a little weird probably but north dakota um okay. because it is just it has a lot of ghost towns and i'm kind of obsessed with ghost towns kansas has a lot of ghost towns too but north dakota really has some places that have just are picture perfect um and 
I'm intrigued by it. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and Missouri is another place. So, um, Missouri has a lot of natural, like outdoor rivers and and hills and mountains and like small mountains, uh, the Ozarks, um, and small towns and just little quaint, kitschy Americana stuff mm-hmm. and cities. And so it, it has a mix of, of different cultures too. Uh, there's different communities here and there. I, know, I just, I've enjoyed my time in Missouri. My dad's originally from Missouri. So there's a little bit of history there too. So Okay. And the last question is going to be, if you were to say a few sentences as to why someone should travel, what would you say to those people? Traveling is something that constantly challenges you to learn something more about the world and about yourself and keeps you wanting to know more and so it just kind of repeats (laughs) Uh, it is something that I have as I travel more I feel like each experience is deeper because I'm uh, I'm always learning something different that I I thought I've I've surely learned it all by now and then (laughs) get challenged again and um, it also is a great way for me to to get out of my routine of, you know, the kind of the same old, same old, and we all have to do certain routines. But for me, um, I think for, I think this would be true for anybody, just doing something different will change your perspective. And that could help change your mood and change your direction in life. And that's, that's exactly what travel's done for me. So I think everybody should at least try to do something besides an all-inclusive resort type of travel. (laughs) Just get out there, experience, explore, get curious. That's that's my tagline. Get curious. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, John, for coming onto the podcast. That's a great way to finish that. I know this podcast, we've been trying to get this done for a few weeks. It's glad to finally be in a stable place where we both can get onto the call. And yeah, it's been a great chat. I've learned a lot. Thank you thank you very much yeah thank you for listening to my winging it travel podcast episode today you can find me on instagram at james hammond travel or winging it travel podcast you can search for both i release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels you can also follow me on tiktok facebook and pinterest by searching winging it travel podcast i do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.